This is Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national and international stories, focusing on journalism and communication issues, news and politics. Now, the latest edition of Update One. Welcome to another edition of the National Press Club Update One podcast. I'm podcast committee member Lincoln Smith. With this conversation, we are joined by Mr. Tony Agnello, president, Friends of Afghanistan, and co-founder, Peace Corps Alliance for Intercultural Understanding. Welcome, Mr. Tony Agnello. Hello. Um, Really a pleasure to be here, really an honor to be here, uh, especially under the circumstances and the topic being something near and dear to my heart, the Afghan refugees and their circumstances and situations, both in Afghanistan and here. With that, Tony, can you share with us more about your background in early years? I was born just north of New York City, and in fact, my hospital in Austin, New York, overlooked Sing Sing Prison. I tell people that I could probably hit a, a good hooded nine iron over the wall as I developed my golf swing. But my origins in New York moved me via travel and education through Flagstaff, Arizona. And in Flagstaff, as a student body officer, I was recruited by the local Peace Corps recruiter into a program called the Teacher Corps Peace Corps, which was designed to build educators compatible with the needs of Afghanistan. And so then I moved to Buffalo from Flagstaff to Kabul from Buffalo, and then back here, and that's where I've spent the remainder of my life and career in the Buffalo area. As a return Peace Corps volunteer, having served in Afghanistan years ago, can you share with us more about your time in Afghanistan to include the nature of your duties? I mentioned that um, I was recruited out of Flagstaff to be a member of the Joint Teacher Corps Peace Corps program, Uh, And that program developed a team of linguistically and cross-culturally competent educators per the request of the Afghan government that specialized in hands-on, experience-based, experiment-based science program that was a departure from the rote memorization methods that were commonly in use in South Central Asia generally and, and in Afghanistan specifically. And I was a science supervisor for Samangan province in northern Afghanistan, and I worked as a mentor for Afghan teachers with my Afghan counterpart. And we put on teacher seminars and provided update information and methods designed to improve Afghan science teaching. Most recently, Tony, you've been moderating a Peace Corps committee dedicated to addressing the Afghan evacuee crisis. Can you tell us more about this committee? This is a great effort. When the separation of forces agreement was signed in 2020, I knew immediately that it would result in the in the fall of the Afghan government. I didn't know how long it would take it. And the fall actually took a lot of people by surprise. But I reached out to the Peace Corps community for refugees, knowing that there would be another refugee crisis like there was in the 80s following the Soviet invasion and in the 90s during the Afghan Civil War. And luckily, the Peace Corps community for refugees had members that were affiliated with the National Peace Corps Association. And this is our organizing group, uh, 60,000 strong, 
that serves as a alumni association for all Peace Corps volunteers. Now, there are a quarter of a million Peace Corps volunteers. 60,000 of us are involved with the National Peace Corps Association. We're working right now on the Afghanistan Peace Corps Association, Friends of Afghanistan, the Peace Corps Community for Refugees, the National Peace Corps Association, and we're working with the Peace Corps itself in uh, addressing some of the needs at the military base. So we're building coalitions, and that's going to be a theme throughout the remainder of my efforts on this. With your current work, Tony, what do you consider among the best practices to assist the Afghan evacuees? We had monthly meetings, I'm I'm sorry, weekly meetings a few months ago, and now we have bi-monthly, semi-monthly meetings. We have meetings twice a month now, and that is a major theme that I ask at every one of the meetings. I want all of the participants to share what their success stories are. So I'd encourage all concerned individuals and organizations that want to develop a functional outreach to the Afghan community to build public-private partnerships and form coalitions with service organizations like Rotary, the Rotaract and Interact College and High School Auxiliary Groups, and faith-based coalitions as well. My ecumenical preference would be to find Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Baha'i, Buddhist, and Sikh congregations and work together to help their local refugee agencies. But I want to emphasize that best practices work through the refugee agencies. And the best single practice, in my opinion, that will significantly improve the likelihood of success for any of these coalitions is to incorporate an Afghan advisory group into your efforts. So if we can do that, I think we're off to a great start. Can you further spotlight the subcommittees associated with the overarching Peace Corps Committee dedicated to addressing the Afghan evacuee crisis? I credit the Peace Corps Community for Refugees with giving my country of service group national reach. And in that organization, we have a field liaison group. And we have roughly 60 field liaisons around America with hundreds of volunteers ready to work in localities uh, with the refugee resettlement agencies to address the soon looming Afghan crisis in localities. So there will be a huge, a huge increase in the Afghan evacuee presence in the communities, and, and we are hopefully ready to address that and help the local agencies. Afghan evacuees entering the United States are being sent from holding forts into resettlement sites around the United States. Can you further explain the resettlement process and the organization associated with the process? The forts were always intended to be transitional. The resettlement process is well on its way, moving toward completion as we speak. The process will vary depending upon the designation of the evacuee and the destination of the evacuee. Some of the recent arrivals will be unified with family members, and that'll be a very smooth transition. Some of the others will be sent to areas where they are unfamiliar, and the resettling process may be more challenging. But very importantly, the resettlement process is designed to end at the forts 
and transfer these people to American communities. And um, I reached out to Kathleen Corey. Uh, she's a former Foreign Service officer. I think right now on loan to the Department of Population, Refugee, and Migration from the Foreign Service Institute. And she just spent the last eight weeks implementing a cultural orientation program at the bases. So I think she's enthusiastic about the likelihood of a successful transition. And the plan is to get everyone off the bases by the end of January, but it's being run by the military. So anything run by the military and the government is subject to some delays. And I suspect that there's going to be individual delays on this, but they're aiming for the end of January to have all of the bases cleared of the Afghan humanitarian parolees and into the communities around America. Tony, the military has been involved with the resettlement process. What about the United States Department of State? The program is run by the Department of Homeland Security. But a lot of the governmental agencies, especially one as large as the Department of Homeland Security, parcel uh, assignments out. So the Department of State is funding this entire initiative. And I refer back to Kathleen Corey, who's been at the bases. I haven't been at any of the bases, but she said that kudos to the U.S. military that in virtually every case she's seen went above and beyond the call of duty, uh, addressing their charge to process and transport and transfer these people humanely and compassionately. And she especially emphasized some of the general officers, probably people who had served in Afghanistan and felt like they were dealing with their former counterparts and interpreters. Let's get over to the resettlement basis, Tony, and the efforts of the United States military. What do you think could be improved with the aspects of the resettlement basis? Again, I look at the bases as a, as a temporary staging, and they did cultural orientation programs at the bases, they did language training, they provided with, with great contributions from the American public, they provided physical needs, shoes, jackets to many of the humanitarian parolees. There's different names associated with different statuses of the refugee population. The biggest group are called humanitarian parolees. The consensus from a civilian point of view is that the U.S. military has done a great job in addressing a task that was thrust upon them. And like they do in crises, they, they react very efficiently and, and very effectively. To previous conflicts and wars, are there parallels that could be drawn to that of Afghanistan? Yeah, yeah. Cultures generally don't learn. We say that we learn, and, and then when situations arise, we fall back into um, the mistakes that previous generations have made. Field Marshal Montgomery, Bernard Montgomery, is reported to have said, and it's also credited to Eisenhower and MacArthur, don't wage a land war in Asia. Now, two observations that Monty did lay out 
as a strategy were don't march on Moscow and don't commit land forces in China. The second point became generalized to include all of Asia. But what we could learn, we could have learned back at the start, and that would be following the, the Powell Doctrine, uh, who gave, in my opinion, the best advice for waging war. The simp my simple synopsis of the Powell Doctrine is that war should be the last resort in a conflict situation and should only be engaged if all other means of persuasion are exhausted. But again, my synopsis is that General Powell said our goals should be clear, attainable, supported by the American public, and have a broad international support structure as well. And most importantly, General Powell said, and this is so applicable for Afghanistan, that we must have a plausible exit strategy that leaves stability in our absence. Otherwise, we will be doomed to endless war. And the recently departed General Powell, had he been heated, we would probably have avoided a lot of the problems of the last 20 years. In closing, Tony, how long do you see the Afghan refugee crisis lasting? The Stanford and MIT and Harvard the statisticians could probably look at previous crises and give a nice statistical projection. The LIRS, the Lutheran Immigrant and Refugee Aid Society, are promoting what's called the long welcome. And I think that we should take a look at the transition during the post-Vietnam era and apply that and move uh, resources and, and human capital and the public-private partnership concept into this effort. And it'll be a crisis for a year. Hopefully, it will begin to taper down. And if we are wise enough to include Afghan advisory groups into our transition efforts, hopefully the, the transition will go smoothly and, and it'll be a relatively quick, relatively easy process. So we're talking years. The critical part will be the first year. Mr. Tony Agnello, President, Friends of Afghanistan, and co-founder, Peace Corps Alliance for Intercultural Understanding, Thank you for joining us on the National Press Club Update One podcast. Thank you. Update One is a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Podcast Committee. You can comment on this podcast or any episode of Update One by sending an email to Update One Podcast. That's update the number one podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Update One. Update One.